0: Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series, from current events to fascinating finds, to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Hey, welcome to the Conduit Church Deeper podcast bonus episode. This is our first bonus episode, so I'm, I'm feeling very excited about that. I wish I had like prizes to give out or something. This is an interview with Catherine Vanderbeek from Israel. Uh, Mo's not even with me to do the intro right now, uh, but we really wanted to get this to you all as soon as we can. Catherine uh, was our guide when we were in Israel back in February, and it was just such a powerful time with her. I mean, at some point, we find ourselves on top of uh, Mount Carmel. And for all you guys that didn't go, that you thought you should have gone, I'm going to tell you one of the things you missed. Jason breaks out his guitar, Jason Kuhn, our worship leader. Uh, Catherine, who's a genius, brilliant um, scholar of the word in the land of Israel, also happens to play the harp. No kidding. So on Mount Carmel, we are singing Days of Elijah, Jason on guitar, Catherine on harp. I thought, man, the chances of this ever happening in, in my lifetime are about none. And it was such a beautiful moment. Uh, we had several of those along the way. I wanted to talk to Catherine because while we were in Israel, this pre-corona, some of the corona stuff was happening. But even then, she kept mentioning things about that was happening in the land that had to do with biblical prophecy. Things that were like, okay, that's pretty important. I think people should know that. Or that's pretty important. I didn't know that. We got to experience... Uh, just many, many things that were really powerful moments. And it was like, she was like a faucet of God's word. And so that, by the way, is what you're going to experience here. And I'm just going to give you fair warning. This one is a long one. Um, We were going to try to divide it into two episodes. It just didn't feel right. Uh, There was nowhere really to break for it. So what I'm going to ask you to do is, hey, if you're listening on your way to work, Uh, Get ready to hit pause when you get in the parking lot and listen to it on your way home. Listen to it while you're at the gym or whatever. But I would encourage you to listen to as much of it as possible, all of it, if all possible. Because there's some stuff that she is sharing here that is just really important for our time, uh, a time such as this. So take, uh, man, get a Bible out, get your notes out and get ready to just be blessed by Catherine and her work Uh, And then at the end, uh, she tells you how we can get a hold of her and how you can follow along with her. And if the next time we go to Israel, not if, but when, I want you to consider going with us because uh, Catherine, we said we're not going back unless Catherine can be our guide again. So, hey, God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. And uh, if you're in the Nashville area, I hope I see you uh, Sunday at 830, 10 or 1130 or that we can uh, experience you online on our online church as well. Uh, God bless you guys. and i hope that today that the people that are listening to us here will get to hear why we on our trip had such a an amazing experience the 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 25 people that went with condo it just you blew our minds at every stop like it was just profound so i don't know how that goes with everybody else but just so you know catherine everybody here loves you um and we thank Thank you you. (laughs) hey so and to that end you are not from, people might be able to detect from your accent, are not from Israel birth. You're actually from the UK, uh, but you're part of what the Bible prophesied as the Aliyah. Am I saying that right? Aliyah?
1: Yep, that's pretty good.
0: <laughs> Which is part of the biblical idea, right, of the prophecy that Jews would return to the land. So you are part of, of that But how did that happen?
1: For me personally, how did that happen?
0: Yeah, how did you end up back there in in the land?
1: Okay, so I'll try to make it into a very short story. But basically, I was born in England, and uh, I was training to be a musician. And so I ended up living in London and in Helsinki and in Den Haag and the Netherlands. And uh, my time in the Netherlands is actually when I came back to the Lord. And what happened was there was a season in my life where it felt like the Lord was systematically removing everything, step by step. I felt he wanted me to stop studying at music college, to move to another city, he took my spiritual mother back to the States, he took my best friend to Germany, and I really felt like he stripped me down and he left me with nothing. And for about six months, almost all that I did was to worship and to read the word and to cry. And by the end of that six months, my heart had changed completely towards the land of Israel. When I grew up in England, all the rhetoric that I heard about Israel was very, very negative israelis are aggressive they're all dressed in army uniform they repress the palestinians if you had asked me 20 years ago if there was any nation on the face of the earth that i did not want to visit it would have been israel and yet uh, god brought me back to my ancestral homeland and he turned me into basically an advocate for this nation because that is how our government would see the job of tour guiding to be able to present the nation um, the nation of Israel to the nations in a positive light. And, um, so it was really a complete change of my heart to even consider coming to live here,
0: which was by the way, you did, if, if your job, by uh, Israel is to be an advocate for the land, you certainly did that. But what I loved about it was you did it by just telling the truth. Like the, there wasn't like a propaganda spin on what you were doing at all. Like it wasn't like you're some agent of the government trying to, like you just told the truth. And the the beautiful thing about the truth is you don't even have to, you know, the truth will defend itself. And we enjoyed it uh, immensely. And maybe I should ask you this question. Maybe I should have asked you this question before uh, of how you ended up there. I just used the word aliyah and I'm clearly not saying it very well. Could you actually do a better job than I just did of describing what that word is and what it means?
1: Yeah, I would love to explain about Aliyah. So it's actually a very important clue to the times that we are living in. Since it is mentioned so many times in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, its literal meaning is ascent, to go up. So if we would go to the book of Psalms, if you go to um, Psalm 120 to 134, there you will see the term Psalms of Ascent and if you haven't been to the land of israel you may never have thought about why they are called the psalms of ascent but the reason is simple the jewish people were required to come up to jerusalem three times a year to celebrate the feast of the lord and the truth of the matter is that geographically no matter which direction you approach jerusalem from in order to get there you are going up simply because of the arrangement of the mountains around jerusalem So those beautiful psalm texts would be recited when the Jewish people were making what was known as the final ascent. And the final ascent would begin from the pools of Siloam, or in Hebrew, the pools of Shiloh, which is where in John 9, Yeshua tells the blind man to go and wash the mud off of his eyes so that he will be able to see again. And in fact, it's a huge ritual bath. So people would come to this huge ritual bath at the bottom of what later became known as the City of David, and they would become ritually pure by washing in the water, and then they would make the final ascent. They would walk up the stairway to the temple mount where they would make their sacrifices, and they would worship, and they would pray in the temple. And fascinatingly, in the days that we are living in now, that ancient path is actually being uncovered stone by stone by stone. Right.
0: We were there. So we were so blessed to get to see one of the things you did so well for us was show us hey this was what the bible said happened and now here's the here's the actual pool of salome like we have actually seen it and here it is it's uncovered and then we actually got to be blessed like the next day myself and, and my wife and david christopher and jana because of zev orenstein um with city of david he actually allowed us to walk on the, is it being called the Pilgrim's Path? Is that what it's being called? Like the actual road, the actual final ascent from Salome to the city wall, city gates of Jerusalem is actually being excavated right now. Uh, not open to the public yet. We got to go on that. So, Zeb, if you're listening, thank you for that. But isn't that cool, Catherine, though, that when you hear something like that, the Pool of salome that, that's part of your job is to say, oh, and by the way, here's the Pool of Salome." <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's amazing. I always joke that I have the best job in the world because I get to show people this land and to walk around it time after time after time, and it never gets old for me at all. And
0: and then part of what I thought you did so well was you would say, "Okay, here's the pool of Siloam. Wow, that's what Jesus said. You know, the Bible said this verifies the Bible." But then you also would say, "Oh, and then by the way, here's modern context of what's happening." And part of what you talked about with Aliyah, Aliyah. I'm going to get, by the end of this interview, I'm going to get very close to pronouncing this right. Uh, Aliyah started in a modern context. Israel wiped off the face of the earth, right? AD 70, Rome sacked the temple, dispersed the nation into the nations. But something happened in the 1800s that God began to wake up with Theodore Herschel. Could you bring us some insight? today that you brought us while we were there?
1: Sure. So Theodor Herzl was really an incredible man. I think we could almost call him a prophet or a prophetic voice, even though he didn't know Yeshua in his lifetime, as far as we know. But in the late 1800s, he began to realize to his horror that the Jews of Europe were in danger. And uh, he began to warn them that their place was no longer in Europe and that they needed to seek a national homeland. And uh, this is very interesting because in Jeremiah 16, verse 14 and 15, the prophet actually speaks of an aliyah that would be far greater, not only than the return from Babylon, so the Jews were exiled to Babylon, and then they came back and rebuilt their temple, but that it would exceed even the exodus from Egypt, causing that exodus to no longer be spoken of. Now, something that would cause the Jewish people to no longer speak of the Exodus would have to be absolutely breathtaking, because we still celebrate the Exodus when we commemorate the Passover every year in this land. And the original Exodus, as recorded in um, chapter 12, verses 37 to 38, that included all of Israel, 600,000 men, plus women, plus children, plus a mixed multitude. So some scholars would even say that those numbers could have exceeded 6 million people. So this is a huge movement of refugees coming up from Egypt to the land of Israel. And the Prophet is saying that something in the modern day period is going to exceed that. Of course, he's not saying in the modern day period, but we can assume that since it happened yet, it hasn't happened yet, it's still um, waiting to come forth. But today, we're getting closer to that point, right? Today, we have more than 900,000 Russian-speaking Jews living in Israel who have come up from the lands of the north. And there are more than 7 million Jews living here. So we're already speaking about a little more than were murdered in Europe by Hitler and the Nazis. So these are those that God has brought up from all the lands where he banished them. And it said today that the number of those that would be eligible to return to the land, according to our laws, exceeds 23 million. So clearly we're not there yet, but clearly something is in place and is flowing that that is continuing. And what is actually very interesting to see is that in Israel during this season, Um, A little under 350 people died of uh, COVID-19 or were recorded as having died of COVID-19. In the nations, the proportion of the Jewish people that have died, even though they're very small among the populations, is much, much higher than that. So this is causing the Jews to have a big question mark and to say, hang on a minute, why are the Jews who are living in the land of Israel safe? Why are they protected? Why are they not dying? Why are the ones in the diaspora... Unprotected and dying in disproportionate numbers. So what this is actually doing is to push the numbers of people applying for ALIA much higher than they were before this season. In fact, between January to April, already 10,000 people already came, and the numbers are up from Brazil and Argentina and South Africa. The numbers from those nations are actually higher than they would normally be because they are now convinced that they are safer and that there will be a better standard of healthcare when they get there. And also in the United States of America, I don't know if you've heard about this at all, that there are actually rabbis in the States who are saying that now is the time that the Jews must come home, that they mustn't wait any longer. And these are prominent rabbis and their people are um, listening to them. So this is very interesting to see taking place.
0: Yeah, It's amazing. In, in the States, we are, obviously, we are, uh, we've seen a, an incredibly high death rate from... COVID 19, one of the things that the media tends to gloss over is that almost half of those deaths happened in long term care facilities where our government policies were sending people, uh, positive tested patients back into the nursing homes. So of the 51,000 of our deaths, like a lot of them were completely avoidable. Um, the, the other thing we've heard a lot of is the, there is a, uh, a disproportionate amount of deaths in, in our minority populations, which is something that is, uh, is sad and, and shameful even to our, our medical system. But what is also sad and shameful to our, our, our media system is nobody has mentioned anything about the Jewish population. That's not even then on. I promise if somebody Googled CNN or New York Times or Washington Post, there'd be no mention of a disproportionate higher percentage of Jewish population population dying of the of the disease, and at the same time thinking, okay, but the invisible hand of the Holy Spirit is still using what maybe the enemy has meant for harm to accelerate the, the return uh, to the land. Uh, many people don't know this, but in the history of civilization, there's never been a nation that was wiped off the face of the earth, gone to then reappear and to be a nation again again something prophesied and we can say in modern time because it had not happened up until 1948 like all of a sudden israel was not a nation and then suddenly israel is a nation and how does that strike you guys living there right now of the millions that are there the millions that are coming now the the prophetic the, the living in a prophetic reality must feel like inspiring right
1: for sure it's an amazing thing to live in the middle of uh, prophecies being fulfilled so there are actually two people you could say that prophesied the nation being reborn in a day and one of them was the man that we already mentioned theodore Herzl, who in 1897 mm. said that within 50 years the Jewish people would have a national homeland. And exactly 50 years after that, in um, 1947, that is when uh, they made what was known as the plan to partition Palestine, which um, was giving a legal right to the Jewish people to come back and to live in this region. And then the other person that prophesied it some 2,700 years ago was the prophet Isaiah, who in chapter 66, verse seven to eight, um, spoke about how the nation of Israel would be reborn in a day and so this is really something quite extraordinary but I mentioned the term uh, plan to partition Palestine yeah. and so this being reborn was a kind of a double-edged sword if you will it was a joyful thing because we were back in our land At the same time, it was a very sad thing because it was not the whole land by any means. The land assigned by the League of Nations in 1947 was actually really, really small. And it's very interesting because in 1920, in the San Remo Conference, we were actually assigned a huge territory that included all of the Golan Heights, it included Judea and Samaria, it included Jerusalem, and it included the whole of what became the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. So this League of Nations was really a shrinking of what uh, the Jewish people had formerly been promised. And I think this divide, the idea of the dividing up of the land, this is something that is very, very relevant for the days that we are living in today. I don't know if people remember before COVID completely took over all of the news, that something that was very prominent in the news before that was um, the discussion about annexation, the idea of Israel exerting sovereignty over the Jordan Valley, and the, the deal that was called uh, the deal of the century that was being brokered between Donald Trump and uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. So this is still very relevant in the land today, and I think it connects to uh, Joel 4 verse 2, where God says that he will judge the nations in the Valley of Jehoshaphat And Jehoshaphat literally means God judges, and that valley is found between the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount. And God is saying that he will judge the nations because they divided up his land. So although President Donald Trump has been known to us in Israel as one of the most pro-Israel presidents in the history of the United States, and I'm not trying to be political in any way, but just to state um, how he would be seen here because of what he's done in regard to the Golan Heights and what he has done in regard to moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. I think he should be very, very careful if he wants to stand behind a plan that is going to further divide the land because um, Joel is very clear about what is gonna happen to anybody who, who actually does this.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting you say that, Catherine, because when he made that announcement uh, Christians like myself were actually really uh, shocked, like taken aback and, and even to the point of like, wait, maybe he's just playing some game to see, you know, calling their bluff or, but look, I can, I can remember back into 1991, 92, when George H.W. Uh, Bush was president and uh, he had come out and, and made a statement and basically was withholding funding for uh, Israel uh, pulling people out of, was it Gaza at that point? It was something, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna mess up the history of it a little bit, but but there was support that he had had for Israel, but this his policy very much was about dividing the land and withdrawing um, funding if Israel wouldn't withdraw from certain places and on the, on the news there were images of Jews being just with forcibly taken from their homes. And, and I, here's why I bring that up. <clears throat> he went into that election in 1992 against Bill Clinton it was an election that he had like 80% approval rating. It was an election that he could not lose, but that policy came out and he made that statement and he left that election in an election that he could not win. Um, uh, The comeback of all comebacks of Bill Clinton beating uh, George H.W. Bush. And part of me is always wondering, I wonder if it's because his policy was dividing the land and it wasn't long after the deal of the century that Trump put forward, uh, to divide the land that suddenly Trump has been, I mean, he's, don't get me wrong, the guy has been mercilessly uh, harassed since he became president, but something has really shifted even in the COVID narrative. And, and so part of me is like, okay, what you just said, that warning of, hey, be careful uh, about dividing the land because God takes it very seriously. And, and I've wondered, I mean, is that something that you guys would perceive there that when a, when a presidential policy is about dividing the land, that it doesn't go very well for them?
1: Yes, it's definitely something that's noticed over here. And I think there's a gentleman named uh, William Kooning, I could be wrong about this, who's written a whole series of books detailing exactly when America has made policies um, against the land and exactly what has happened in your nation since then. I think that right after the Gaza withdrawal, that's when you guys had um, a series of severe hurricanes and so on. Mm. So it's definitely something that is in our our consciousness. But with this deal of the century, even here, we weren't actually very sure how to see it. And we're still not very sure how to see it. Because on, on one hand, it's this an amazing opportunity to exert sovereignty over the Jordan Valley and to exert sovereignty over some of the Jewish settlements. And um, this can be seen as a, as a very positive thing and as an opportunity. And sometimes the land is redeemed little by little. It's not necessarily redeemed all in one go. Just like when Joshua <laughs> comes into the land, God doesn't give him the entire land because he'll be overwhelmed and have to deal with all the enemies, you know, in one go, as opposed to um, the way that God gives him to do it. He has to take city and village one after the other so that the Israelites will will be able to do this and to actually take possession of the land. So some part of me wonders if something similar is happening in the modern day period, that it's little by little that the land is being uh, redeemed and regained. And then the other part of me says, well, on the other hand, this is yet another dividing of the land. And we see things like biblical archaeological sites that will now be under the Palestinian authority. And clearly, that's not a good thing because they don't care from them. And generally, we don't have access to them when they are in their control. Um, so mm. it's, it's difficult to know how to see the whole picture. But the prophet Ezekiel has something so powerful to say about this that I really believe is very relevant um, to today. In chapter 36, he speaks directly to the mountains of Israel. And I believe that the mountains of Israel that he's speaking to are the biblical heartland. If you look at a map, of this region you have the coastal plain that's relatively flat and then you have another area a little further to the to the west that is called the or the lowlands it's a little higher than a coastal plain and then you have this mountainous area that surrounds jerusalem and these are the mountains of israel the area that yeshua refers to as judea and samaria or the part of the country that after the death of of king solomon would simply be known as israel But in Ezekiel 36 verse 2, it says, Thus says Yahweh Elohim, the enemy has said against you, Aha, even the ancient high places have become our possession. Now that is exactly the reality that we see on the ground today. When you think about all of the most important ancient high places of the land, places where God made covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, places where the biblical patriarchs and matriarchs are buried, if we think about Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, where the temple stood, where Abraham offers Isaac, when we think about Bethlehem and Jericho, these are all the areas that are um, the possession of the enemy. Now, please don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about the enemy as being a people group. Ephesians 6 verse 12 is very clear that we don't war against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not the other people who are living in the land, but our enemy is the spiritual enemy. I believe that the enemy in this case is Islam and it is exerting its dominion over all of these ancient high places. And then Ezekiel continues and he says, because they ravaged and crushed you from every side so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations and you became the talk and the evil gossip of people. Look at the world's media. Wow. Wow. Look at what the media says about Judea and Samaria. I mean, just for fun, I put into Google um, annexation. I wanted to see what people were saying about it. And you have a bass warning of a third intifada. You have a group of world leaders warning against Israel annexing. You have the EU saying it will not recognize it. You have um, an EU court saying that Israel must label products from Judea and Samaria. Hang on a minute. When was the last time that the Jewish people began to be labeled? Okay, it was not our products, then, although sometimes it was shops that should be boycotted. And then there was the slippery slope that ended in the death camps. But when we start to see the EU saying we must label all products from Judea and Samaria so that the world can choose whether or not to boycott them. This is pretty serious. And in fact, they uh, openly admitted that ultimately their aim was the delegitimization of the entire state of Israel, not just Judea and Samaria. And in fact, that's the mantra that's repeated so often, we must simply drive Israel into the sea. And usually that mantra comes from organizations like Hamas and so on, not from the EU, but still these types of statements um, are very concerning.
0: Well, when you hear Hamas uh, or Iran, uh, Ayatollahs say push into the sea, you're right, that is them saying that, but when the EU is tacitly endorsing those organizations that's a tacit endorsed uh, endorsement of their you know, of their policies of their aspirations which kind of feels a little bit like uh, you know the time clock you know all the nations of the earth would come uh, you know to, against israel it, it feels like the clock has been ticking and uh, I, I heard chuck Missler's uh, interpretation of these things will happen quickly. It was He referred to it like uh, the Greek word is like a tachometer on a car, that it actually, it's a revving. So it's not like it's going to happen in the next minute. It's that when it's going to start happening, it's going to start happening quickly, like uh, uh, all the dominoes at the same time will start. And there's feels a little bit like that with me here in America. And I know there's a lot of people in America asking that question. My, my dear mother, if she were still with us, I promise, would have called me every day. Is, what do you think about this, son? Is Jesus coming back? Do you think that's sort of the question that is on the minds of everybody? What signs are you seeing right now? Like indications of things, the, the clock might be speeding up. Matthew 24, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, what do you think? What are you seeing?
1: Okay, well, there's lots of places that we could forget, <laughs> Well, how about just the temple?
0: This, how the- about like the temple, the building of the temple in Jerusalem indicators, like some of that stuff like that you shared okay. with us while we were there?
1: Sure. Okay, so let's begin with um, the possible things that could indicate that we're getting closer to the building of the temple, and then maybe we can go back to Matthew 23 and Matthew 24. Okay. So... Are there any indicators in Israel at the moment that we are preparing for the building of a temple? So the answer is a resounding yes. Let's begin with the massive um, construction of infrastructure, roads, railways, tunnels, possible cable car going up to Mount Moriah and the Mount of Olives. And in fact, astonishingly, a number of years ago, Israel's transport minister actually said that the purpose of all of this massive construction. And if you drive around Jerusalem at the moment, it's absolutely crazy. It's like a building site. But he stated publicly that the reason for this was to enable the Jewish people to go up and pray on the Temple Mount. Now that in itself is astonishing enough because the Jewish people by and large have ignored the Temple Mount. They've ignored the Temple Mount because they were worried that by going up there in a ritually impure state, would defile the most holy place on the face of the earth now in recent years this has started to change and they've said well maybe us not going up is worse than us going up because meanwhile islam has totally taken over dominion of that site but he actually went one step further and he said it's to enable the jewish people to go and pray in the temple Mm. israel's transport minister um i have a friend that used to work for the office of a former prime minister and she actually said that she saw the physical plans drawn up for the temple another indicator could perhaps be that underneath of the temple mount very close to there there is an exquisite underground synagogue that was constructed very recently it seems that no expense was spared for this and yet i have never seen a service held there despite the fact that i've walked through there Very many times at different times of day, morning, night, times when prayer would normally be taking place. Now, interestingly, it's rumored that President Donald Trump and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu actually met there. And it has 71 seats for the Sanhedrin plus one. Now, who is that one extra one for, may we ask? Is it for the Messiah? Or is it for the counterfeit who will precede him, deceiving even the very elect? If they really did meet there, were they speaking of a future false peace deal that will later be ratified by the imposter? Could that deal be the deal of the century or another one? It's mentioned in Daniel 9 verse 27. Now, moving on to the articles that would be needed for the temple. Every single one of the articles that would be needed for use in the third temple or the fifth temple or the sixth temple, depending on how you count (laughs) Have already been made including the golden menorah the harps the incense shovels and even the altar And the jewish people claim to know where the ark of the covenant is held and I believe that um, One of your worship leaders actually had a conversation with a rabbi who was actually able to verify this um what about the animals that would be needed so there were Jacob's sheep that were bred in canada and in the last years they were imported amidst great difficulty one of the most important animals and the most significant is the red heifer that is used for ritual purification um, it's used for purification from defilement with a dead body and it was said that while the temples were standing they only actually needed nine of these animals and now one has been bred that has been approved for use Mm. what about the people that would be needed so you would need the sanhedrin you would need a high priest you would need priests the sanhedrin has been selected but this is by let's say a fringe group of people this is not by a widely recognized part of the israeli population but nevertheless there is a group of people that are calling themselves the sanhedrin A high priest has been chosen, and there are priests who are receiving training, and garments are being made. So you can see that this is really something that is very strongly in the consciousness of the Jewish people. Also, biblical ceremonies have begun to be reintroduced, like the water libation ceremony that took place at the Feast of Sukkot, where water was brought up from the Pool of Siloam up to the Temple Mount, and the sightings of the new moon, and the new moon begins the biblical calendar month, But perhaps the most dramatic and shocking, sacrifices have already been made on the altar that was prepared for use in the temple. For example, just after Hanukkah 2018, a sacrifice was made just outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And one of the participants made a most devastating statement. He said, I would rather go back to the gas chambers of Europe than accept the Christian Messiah. And you can actually look this up and find it on YouTube and you'll find about three different videos of people that actually recorded him saying it. And this devastating statement reminded me of when the Jewish people said of Yeshua, may his blood be on us and on our children. And when I heard that, my heart just sank into my feet and I prayed, oh God, would you please forgive us for this awful, awful statement. Now, shortly after the sacrifice was made at Hanukkah, something called a Noahide sacrifice was made on the Mount of Olives. So there are people who believe that if we apply the seven laws of Noah, as they would speak about them to all humanity, that it will hasten the coming of Messiah. And so something that they felt was very important was to do a Noahide sacrifice and because The noahide laws are for the gentiles and not for the jews they wanted a gentile to perform it and so shockingly a christian actually helped them um, in this and actually sacrificed a sheep on the mount of olives not long ago i think it was shortly before rosh hashanah or the head of the year just last year now there were other christians simultaneously on the mount of olives praying for this person and praying that god would forgive us for this (laughs) Um, as they saw it act of folly. So it was a very bizarre situation where some Christians were involved and others were uh, praying against it. But that's a fairly typical picture in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. I sometimes wonder how God must look at this. He must be in <laughs> heaven scratching his head going, which prayer do I answer? <laughs> <laughs> so probably sacrifices haven't been made in this manner since the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, perhaps with the exception of the um, Samaritans who still make a sacrifice every Passover on Mount uh, Grazim. So those are some of the indicators but, that the Jewish people are gearing up to build a temple.
0: And do you think that this plays, cause I did, you know, you did talk about Matthew 23 and I don't want to skip over that. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Jesus, you will never see me again, right? Until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I, I don't want to skip that. Like tell, tell us what that means with what we're seeing right now.
1: Great. So that's a super important statement that Yeshua says there. So he's on the Mount of Olives. He's looking down towards Jerusalem. He's in essence making his triumphal procession into the city. And he stops and he begins to weep over the city. And he says, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you have rejected me. And then he looks towards the Pharisees and the Sadducees, And he says to them, you're not going to see me again until you say, baruch haba b'shem Adonai. So what does baruch haba b'shem Adonai mean? It means blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, he is not coming back to Jerusalem until the Pharisees and the Sadducees say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So... What is amazing is that in 1948, when the state of Israel was established, it is said that there was probably only one Messianic Jewish family, one Jewish family who believed in Yeshua, Jesus as the Messiah, living in Israel at that time. And today it is estimated that there are between 30 to 60,000 Jewish believers in the land and tens of thousands out of the land in addition to that so while it's still not a huge number or a huge proportion it certainly is an exponential increase in the number of jewish people who have recognized who he is so this is a very strong indicator that the time clock is um, increasing in intensity and in matthew 24 verse 32 um, there is a sign given for um, yeshua's return and the sign that is given in that particular verse is the fig tree, that when its branch becomes tender and puts forth leaves, know that it is near at the door. So when the Jewish people start to receive back their Messiah, this is a sign that um, we can be expectant that we are getting closer to the days when he's coming. And then he goes on to say, Amen, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things happen. Now, which is the generation that will not pass away well i think most biblical scholars would probably agree that the generation that will not pass away is the generation from 1967 when jerusalem is reunified when she is no longer in the hands of the gentiles until that generation passes away and um biblically a generation can be 70 years it can be 100 years it can be 120 years So which definition he's using at this point, I can't tell you, Mm -hmm. but I think we can certainly expect that some of the people alive on the face of the earth today are going to be the ones who are going to welcome him back to Jerusalem.
0: Tell me this, Catherine, one of the things that we talked about on our bus over there, and I'm I'm asking this because, uh, so we're in Nashville, uh, where I'm sitting right now. And actually good friends of mine, longtime friends of mine, Roy Morgan, Gary Gentry, uh, Shane Quick, have been bringing Christian music artists to the, to the Holy Land. So uh, Hillsong United, um, I believe uh, Chris Tomlin, bringing events over there, worship events. Um, how is that playing out in, in all of this right now? Like, is that making an impact in Israel?
1: In terms of the the Jewish people? Yes. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. So I was there on the Hillsong tour, actually. I think they had about 36 buses and I had (laughs) one of those buses. But um, my bus driver, actually, before Hillsong arrived, he had been um, exposed to some material written by Messianic pastors in the land. And so his heart was already open. And he had a ton of questions so when i wasn't guiding he would be asking me all of these questions about scripture and then hillsong would have a huge concert each two nights something like that they had one at um, caesarea they had one at uh on the shores of the galilee and they had one in jerusalem and i have very sensitive hearing so i would stay a little bit back from uh, where the concert venue was, but he would actually run right into the thick of the crowd and he would stay there for the whole time. Now for um, an ostensibly religious Jew to do this is nothing short of extraordinary. So uh, after I saw it the first time I went to him and I said, what's going on? Why are you running into the middle of that? What's the deal? And his reply to me really floored me. He just said, I want to be near Jesus. And a few months after that, my husband told me that he had been on a group with, I think it was a South African pastor, and he actually ended up being baptized in the Jordan. So this is amazing. And this is also totally biblical, right? If we think about Romans chapter 11, it speaks about something extraordinary. It tells us how God has closed the eyes of his covenantal people to the identity of his Messiah. Why has he done this? So that the Gentiles would be able to receive him. And in turn, the Gentiles will provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. So sometimes when Gentile believers are coming from the nations, it is having that uh, causative effect on the Jewish people that it is provoking them to jealousy and they are receiving back um, their Messiah, which is really amazing to see.
0: Yeah, I've um, I was so excited to see these things happening, especially someone who spent my time, you know, working in Christian music for a better part of twenty years. But to to see, you know, people that I love and respect here uh, take big risks because that's a very big risk, uh, very expensive risk, I might add, to take all of that to. Uh, the land uh, to the land and so it's it's nice to know that there's a there's an impact in, in that maybe they're playing a little bit of a role uh, even in, in what they're doing um, as far as is is the you know blessed to see who comes in the name of the Lord you know was seeing that begin to happen and, and we we believe and are hoping that across the globe for a, a just a harvest of people returning to to Yeshua, uh, we're hearing stories all over the Islamic world, and, and verifiable stories, by the way, of um, you know, of Muslims having a dream of a man in white appearing to them. Um, it's it's almost like a Paul a moment, and then they become these amazing evangelists uh, for the kingdom. Like in the one hand, we hear the prophecy of a great falling away, a great apostasy that would happen, but on the other hand, it seems like there's this. This great harvest that that the Lord has sent us into, which is something we would say, by the way, at Conduit, that if all of our conversations about the return of Jesus, if all they produce is us just trying to figure out who the Antichrist is or some inside information, if that's all that produces, then we've missed the entire point of what Jesus wanted us to do, which is Matthew 24, the parable, hey, uh, I'm going to return. So if you've got talents, go use them wisely. If you've got finances, use them generously. Uh, if you've got, you know, the Holy Spirit, be, 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 those three parables, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Spirit and go out. Like that's what we believe. That even this conversation, I hope, would produce uh, in, in those listening. That if time is short, the last thing I want is for Jesus to return and to to find me hiding and cowering in a corner somewhere um but rather on the front lines of of the great commission of to go into all the nations um so that when jesus returns to jerusalem not you know not just return but like to jerusalem in that moment that will have been found busy on, on his behalf hey so look i know that it's it is shabbat where you are almost so uh how much time do you have before i've got to get you off of here for Shabbat. I, we've been 45 minutes in. We're how far in do we, can I go before i got to let you go?
1: We're good. You can go as
0: okay. far as you want. Okay. Okay. So talk to me about this then. Let's go to uh, the, the false peace that we had talked about uh, at one point while we were there, the, the, the reign of the Antichrist that would come from Jerusalem, which I just alluded to, to, to try to bring a peace into the world. Which, by the way, right now, peace in this world seems completely not only improbable, it seems impossible. Uh, never would there be a better moment for an, an Antichrist figure to rise with a false peace, right?
1: hmm Yes. <laughs> so it's, it's very interesting, actually, because um, right now there are Jewish rabbis who are saying um, things like, do not leave the land of Israel as his return, meaning the Messiah's return is so near and you don't want to miss it. And some actually claim to have spoken with him already. And to me, that's very concerning because Matthew 24, verse 26 says, if anyone comes to you saying he is here, do not believe them, right? The scripture Mm -hmm. is very clear that every eye is going to see him. There's going to be no question mark whatsoever when he comes. So if they're claiming to have spoken to this person, is it possible that it's the one who is coming by uh, subterfuge, the counterfeit Messiah, Um, There is also an interesting uh, counterpart to this, because in Iran, there are people who are claiming to have met the Mahdi, and the Mahdi is basically the Islamic Messiah-like figure. There are also credible reports of believers that I know that have been woken up in the night with dreams of God showing them that he is already on the face of the earth. And if we will couple this with um, the degree of what I would call messianic expectation among the Jewish people, the expectation that... Messiah is about to step on the stage of world history, we're definitely living in very interesting times. And I would parallel to that to a group of people who were alive at the time of Yeshua and for around 300 years before his time, they existed in Quran, and they were called the Essenes. And they were absolutely convinced that they were living at the time when Yeshua was going to step onto the stage of world history. And they were absolutely right. So Uh, definitely our eyes and our ears can be open but um, God said very clearly that even the very elect will be deceived and I think that goes back to what you just said about peace because he's going to manifest as a man of peace and the Jewish people have wanted for centuries and centuries peace you know they've been persecuted by so many different people groups for such a a long amount of time that I think the one thing they really long for more than anything is peace so Um, The deception is a very real uh, threat to the Jewish people, I think, and for another reason beyond that, because I think they have not understood the difference between where the prophet Isaiah says, my my, uh, house shall be a house of prayer for all nations, all nations coming up to Jerusalem to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his Messiah, Yeshua, The difference between that and what the Jewish people have not recognized, some of them, is my house shall be a house of prayer for all religions. And I think one thing that the world seems to be moving towards is this idea of a one world religion and this idea of the Antichrist worshipping a God that his fathers have not um, known. So I think it's very important to pray for the Jews that they will not be deceived or that the deception will be... Lesson to um, the greatest degree possible, and something else. When I when I think about this whole subject, often if people get revelation about Israel and the importance of the Jewish people, they tend then to have rose-tinted spectacles on and to think, you know, that we're this perfect race. Whereas in fact, God said the opposite. He said that we're the least among the nations and we're stubborn and we're stiff-necked. And in fact, if you look at Scripture carefully, He actually ends up divorcing us. Um, and so, <laughs> this, this is uh, a big um, deception.
0: So you said something that is really um, interesting to me because living in the West, uh, the, our our cry for America has always been for you know liberty, like that. Give me freedom, give me liberty. You know that's been sort of what our country was known for. But in just the last. 10 years for sure the last five years what i hear more of than give me liberty give me freedom is give me peace and give me safety um mm. everything from this covid situation it's about safety it's about and my point being that paul said in that time the last days that it would be a time that we would be crying out for peace and safety and right. Never before on the face of the planet, in my because uh, the thing about COVID that's so different, by the way, um, not to keep going back to it, but it's such a defining moment. People maybe at World War II could have said, hey, maybe this is the end. People World War I could have maybe said, but, but but in those days, like you could have been in like, say, you know Argentina and really not been affected that much by World War I. You could have been in the Galapagos and not been affected by World War II. COVID-19, the coronavirus is global. Literally every country on the face of the planet is all affected by this, the economic catastrophe that it's causing, the, the global um, rule of the policies. And my point being that I think for the first time in the history of the world, is the entire world set up to receive somebody who could come in and say, I will solve this problem, I will give you peace, and I will give you safety, uh, because it seems so unsolvable that if someone were to promise that, I mean, I, I know that I, I'm looking for Antichrist, and it would still get my attention. The, the, and so, the false peace, the reign of Antichrist from, from the Temple Mount, you say that there are systems that are being put in place, polarization, both good and evil, for that. Do you want to speak to that really quickly?
1: Sure. Thank you for that, because that was actually where I was trying to get back to, and my mind momentarily (laughs) went completely blank. So the reason that I think that people in the nation sometimes are deceived about the Jewish people is that they forget that as well as Messiah returning to the Temple Mount, the Antichrist is going to rule from the Temple Mount. If that's going to happen, it's not going to drop out of the sky. There must be things being put in place to enable that to happen. And if that is the case... Could we expect to see Israel not only leading the way in preparing for Yeshua, the Messiah, to return, but unconsciously, not realizing it, but preparing the way for the Antichrist to come and rule and reign from the Temple Mount? Now, if that is the case, we should expect, as well as Israel leading the way in very good ways, that the other agenda is going to shine through. And I think we've started to see some of that in recent months. For example, it was reported in our news just a couple of days ago that our level of tracking our own population and surveillance of our own population is now on a level of China. China. We are using now the same measures to track our citizens that we were months ago to track terrorists. And the population is absolutely shocked. And this even went against the advice of the Shin Bet. They said to our prime minister, do not do this. And he has done it. And we know that we are being tracked by our credit cards. We're being tracked by our car registration plates. I mean, of course, if we're not doing anything wrong, in a sense, we have nothing to worry about. But at the same time, this is an extremely worrying uh, development. And where is this actually going to end? We could also expect that Israel perhaps would lead the way in persecution of people that believe in Yeshua the Messiah, if she's going to align with an antichrist position. And in fact, um, it has been illegal for messianic Jewish believers to come and live in the land already since 1964. It's been illegal for us to be here at all. We can maybe expect to see limitations of religious freedom. We're starting to see that more and more. We can't even gather together with more than 20 people anymore we can perhaps expect to see actions that go against the law of god maybe things like freemasonry which i don't really like to talk about but i don't think we can ignore it um or abortion actually as many jewish babies have been aborted since the holocaust as were killed in the holocaust that is a really shocking statistic we can perhaps expect to see israel leading the way in rights for things that the bible would clearly call sexually immoral. For example, Tel Aviv is now known as the gay capital of the Middle East, if not the whole face of the earth. So we can see that although God is doing amazing things in this region, and perhaps we should end by speaking about those in a minute rather than focusing on all this horrible stuff, (laughs) we can definitely see that there is this strong polarization right now between what the forces of evil are trying to accomplish and what the forces of good are trying to accomplish. And I think it is important to be aware of what the kingdom of darkness is preparing. God told us in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 not to be ignorant of the schemes of the enemy, and that we're actually destroyed for our lack of knowledge in Hosea 4 verse 6, but our focus mustn't be on those. Otherwise, we're going to give in to depression and hopelessness, and we'll risk feeling totally overwhelmed. I think we have to Focus on what Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true and noble and Mm. right and pure and lovely and admirable. So perhaps we can spend a few moments speaking about um, some of those things. What is God doing in this land? And and how does that relate to um, prophecy unfolding? So perhaps for a moment we can speak about the miraculous restoration of the land, even physically. For example, in the 1860s, Mark Twain came to the Middle East. And he said, "This land is desolate. I haven't seen a person for three days. Now, if we contrast that to today, the desert is blooming, just as the prophet Isaiah described. The mountains are dripping with wine, and Israel is winning uh, prizes in international competitions, even in France, that has such a long history of uh, viticulture. in. Amos- yeah,
0: and I don't mean to interrupt you, Catherine, but one of the things that we saw while we were there was while we were out in the desert like there were th- hundreds and hundreds of cars parked along the side of the road of israelis because of the wildflowers blooming and you kept oh, saying that's right. remember that and you kept saying i've never seen anything like this before i've never seen anything and they were out there taking pictures like they were in front of like some giant waterfall but it was literally like the just the wildflowers blooming <laughs> in the desert it was amazing Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that was that that stuck with me.
1: No, that's great. I'd completely forgotten about that. Yeah, this year we had an absolutely exceptional rainfall. So the flowers that were blooming were flowers that sometimes we've never seen before. They were in places that we've not seen before. It was for a length of time that we're not seen before. It was hugely exciting. And in fact, the byproduct of all of this incredible rainfall we had was that. The Sea of Galilee actually went up by more than three meters. And now we're in mid July, right? The Sea of Galilee is still overflowing in July. Wow. This is really unheard of. So yeah, God is also giving us signs through his uh, creation. Um, In Amos uh, 9, verse 11, it says, in that day, I will raise up David's fallen sukkah or tabernacle I'll restore its breaches, raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in days of old, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations called by my name. So what actually is he saying? Hmm. What happened in the tabernacle of David? In the tabernacle of David, we had uh, 24-7 worship and intercession. We have perhaps the book of Psalms being written and recorded. And in the Middle East, in recent years, we have seen prayer houses springing up all over the land where worship and intercession has been going up uh, before the throne of God. And it's not only happening in Israel, it's also happening in the surrounding lands. And we will get to that in just a few minutes in the prophecy of Isaiah, where he actually speaks that this is going to happen. Um, But God says that the purpose of this is not just that we can have a nice time and worship him. He says it so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations called by my name. In other words, as the Son of Man is lifted up, the nations are going to recognize who he is. It's going to result in salvations in the Middle East and everywhere that this is taking place. Because, of course, this is taking place in a great way in your nation too. So in Acts 3 verse 21, it kind of refers back to this prophecy, but it actually says that God is going to restore all things. So what are some of the all things that God is restoring in the Middle East? So what about Hebrew as a spoken language? This has Mm. not yet happened with any other ancient language. And I say not yet because actually another ancient language is in the process of being restored right now. And this is really incredible. One of the other languages that Yeshua spoke was Aramaic. And in fact, that population is being uh their identity is being restored their language is being restored and that is also part of the the prophecy of isaiah that we will get to in a couple of minutes so also the people of israel are being restored to the land and hidden identities and family histories are being revealed all over the face of the earth people that had no clue that they were jewish just like me and my family actually They're they're finding out about their family history, and then they are being drawn as if by a hidden magnet back to the land. Something that's very dear to me, and I'm not going to spend a long time on it, is the restoration of the instrument of David as an Mm -hmm. instrument of worship, the harp. And uh, this is an extraordinary instrument. It's mentioned all the way from the book of Genesis right through to the book of Revelation. It's actually the only instrument mentioned in heaven, apart from the trumpet and shofar. So Revelation 4 verse 4 speaks about 24 elders who have 24 harps and 24 bowls. Then, if we fast forward to Revelation 14 verse 2, it speaks about the 144,000 redeemed of the Lord from the 12 tribes of Israel who are standing on Mount Zion and they're singing a new song and they are playing harps. Mm. And then in Revelation 15 verse 2, it speaks about those who had overcome the beast and its image. They're given the harps of God and they stand by the sea of glass. Now, I think something very stunning actually about the revelation of the land happening little by little is if we look at some of the borders that are described by God. So if we look at the borders of the Garden of Eden, you've got the four rivers, you've got the Pishon and the Gihon and um, the Tigris and the Euphrates. So clearly all rivers of this region. They are very similar to the borders that were given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, where it talks about how God will give the land to his descendants from the Euphrates in the north, right down to the Nile in the south. Now, can you just imagine those on the map for a moment? That is a huge territory. And then Abraham, of course, he's called from Mesopotamia right in the northeast, all the way from the far end of the Euphrates River. He walks all along the Euphrates River until he gets to Haran, and then he turns south and he walks into the land of Israel, and later he actually has to leave the land because of a famine, and he goes all the way down to Egypt, and he comes back in. He has just walked this highway that we're going to get to in a few minutes that's described in Isaiah 19. Now, if we fast forward from Abraham again all the way to Revelation, what about the borders of the new Jerusalem? I have a friend who uh, took the dimensions of the borders given in Revelation for the New Jerusalem and superimposed them on where the Garden of Eden might have fitted and it would seem to be the same. Now, even if it's not exactly the same, this is very exciting because God is in the process of restoring his garden in the Middle East and his Mm. garden was designed to be a place of blessing. His garden was designed to be a place where man and woman were in relationship with one another and where they were in relationship together with God. It was a beautiful place. They were fed. Um, it's just mm. a wonderful picture of, of this restoration. And of course our lives were also redeemed in the garden, the right, right. garden where he gave his life for us. So God is not only restoring the physical territory, but he's also restoring Abraham's family. Because Abraham comes from Mesopotamia with his wife, Sarai, and his concubine, Hagar, is Egyptian. And then their child, Ishmael, wanders in the desert. Is it possible that the Saudi Arabian people are his descendants? Perhaps somebody with more anthropological knowledge can tell me if that's true or not. But if we think about it, from Isaac, we have Jacob. From Jacob, we have the line that leads to Yeshua. And from Isaac also comes Esau. From Esau came the line of Edom, or the Edomites. King Herod is an Edomite on his father's side.
0: Mm. And on
1: his mother's side, it was Nabatean royalty that may have descended from Ishmael. And then from the Moabites, who come from the region of Jordan, we have Ruth and King David leading to Messiah Yeshua. So then we have this severing of Abraham's family when we have the dispute between Ishmael and Isaac and Ishmael, of course, is sent out into the desert. And so Abraham's family is fractured, but Isaiah 19 verse 23 has this most incredible statement that I think is really the crux or the heart of what God is doing in the Middle East today. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria and the Assyrians will come to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians in that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria as a blessing in the midst of the earth. For Adonai Sevaot, or the Lord God of hosts has blessed, saying, blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. So this is such a beautiful uh, portion of scripture that's so filled with hope, but it's also absolutely counterintuitive. Yes. Historically, Egypt and Assyria were warring with one another. There's probably never been a time that they have been in peace and that they have come into the land in peace until today, because of all of these prayer houses that have been built in Egypt, in Israel. And by the way, what is Assyria? It's not Syria. It's Assyria, right? Mm -hmm. So... In order for this prophecy to be fulfilled, these people also have to be identified and restored. And it's absolutely incredible to see that there is a huge movement of people from that region, from the region of Iran and Iraq, and even from the land of Israel, who are saying, hang on a minute, we are not Arabs. Not that there's anything wrong with being an Arab, but it's become like a a blanket identity that has been put over the peoples of the Middle East As Islam has spread, they've said, hang on a minute, our ancient language is Aramaic. Yeshua spoke Aramaic. Let's think a bit more. When Yeshua is on the Sea of Galilee and he crosses over to the other side, where does he go? He actually goes from Jewish territory to Gentile territory. And there he performs at least two miracles. He casts out the demons, from uh, the man named Legion because he had so many demons. And he also does one of the miracles of multiplication. And if we fast Mm. forward to the time of Paul, the Apostle Paul is going to Damascus to persecute the believers who are there. So that means perhaps 40 years after the death of Yeshua and the resurrection and ascension, there is a community of Christians in Damascus. In Damascus, hang on a minute. We think about Syria of today as being a muslim nation right we think of the middle east as being muslim but that's not god's identity or god's purpose for the middle east the middle east contains the earliest christian communities on the face of the earth think about how yeshua goes up to tyre and sidon and uh he heals the son of the the widow and does all kinds of incredible things up there he makes sure that he's going into all these areas that he's not only reaching the jews but he is leaving a witness among the Gentile nations, and incredibly, after almost two thousand years, these people are waking up, and they are saying, "Our language is one of the languages that Yeshua spoke, and our identity is not Muslim." So, this uh, these people, the Assyrian people, they are coming forth in the days that we are living in. They're building prayer houses, they're worshipping. Some of them are even coming into the land of Israel to worship with Israeli believers. The Egyptians are coming up from Egypt and they're worshipping with the Israeli believers and You know, all of these things happening make me think this is why Satan is so mad. He knows that his (laughs) end is near. He sees all of these incredible prophetic things taking place. He sees Isaiah 2 taking place where the nations are coming up to Jerusalem to learn from his ways. He sees Malachi 4 verse 5 coming to, to place the restoration of the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Now, is it possible that that's not only in the natural, but this also speaks to the restoration of the relationship between the Jewish people and the Christians that has mm. been so severed by anti-Semitism and persecution and so on? Another extraordinary pointer is that this Passover was the only time since the actual Exodus that the nation of Israel has observed the biblical commandment to stay in their homes until morning.
0: Now, if you say that just
1: an actual law.
0: You and you just to make sure that everybody understands when you say this one, you mean the one that just happened like a couple months ago.
1: Exactly. This specific Passover was the only time that we have done that and it was mandated by law. We were literally not allowed to go out from our doorpost. It was even worded like that in the news from the evening when the Passover sacrifice was made when every Jewish family will symbolically put blood on the doorpost. And in fact, my family literally put the blood of a lamb on the doorpost, Not because we think we need to because of course, we believe in and we receive the covering of the blood of Yeshua. But as a symbolic act, I really felt that we were supposed to do it. And then we put a blood red scarf over the door that we left there for the whole period. But the children of Israel were covered by that blood during that night when the angel of death passed over and actually i have chills all over my body as i'm saying this because israel did experience an extraordinary protection from covid 19 less than 350 deaths could it have been because we observed this biblical commandment and because we chose to depend on the protection of the lamb of god But what's very interesting is that after that we became proud and we said no it had nothing to do with that (laughs) it was because we put in place all of this very strict lockdown and we behaved impeccably and now look what happened to our numbers they shot up not deaths but um numbers of cases is that because of our pride is god now wanting to humble us in the eyes of the international media and remind us no I didn't protect you because you're so smart. I protected you because you put my blood on your
0: um, doorposts. Mm. What are some last words for us? Um, in, in America, many people, when we begin to think of the end of the of the day of the Lord, of his return, a lot of people see that genuinely as is bad news. Like that, that's kind of a bummer. Uh, it's scary. It's... Um, it's one of the reasons why we're teaching through the book of Revelation right now as a, as a church. Um, the Lord led me to do that before any of this happened. So I do feel like that was definitely a word from the Lord. But from where you're you're sitting right now in the country, allies of the nations are on you, uh, whether it's Iran and China, Syria, Russia, Turkey, you know, all those battles, all those that, you know, they might have different, you know, things happening, but there's, there's one thing in common and that is Israel, um, because of what Iran, because of Syria, because of, you know, Egypt, even nations that are technically at peace with you right now. Um, what would you say to us, uh, in America right now? Like uh, Jesus is going to return. Maybe it's in our lifetime. How could you encourage us with this?
1: I I wanted to end with the beautiful verse that says when you see these things lift up your heads for your redemption is drawing near and I heard a wonderful pastor about a week ago in the north of Israel Daniel Yahav I will give him all the credit for this because I'm about to steal it from him (laughs) but what he actually said was it doesn't say be downcast it doesn't say be afraid it doesn't say focus on the plans of the enemy, although it's important to know what is going on, but he says, lift up your heads for your redemption is drawing near. So we have hope. If we know him, we have so much hope. If we don't know him yet, he's still given us a window of opportunity to repent. His heart is always for us to turn back to him. And actually, if we think about the Exodus from Egypt, it's a very redemptive thing the children of Israel are being redeemed and the gods of the Egyptians are being judged. It doesn't actually say the Egyptians are being judged. It says the gods of the Egyptians are being judged. And he actually says that he's doing this so that the Egyptians may know that I'm the Lord. Mm. So he wasn't even doing it for the sake of Israel. Israel is always this tool in his hands to reveal himself to the nations. And in fact, if we go back just for a moment to Ezekiel 36, he actually says that he is bringing back the people to the center of the country, not for the sake of Israel, but so that the nations may know that I am God. And that is his heartbeat in everything that he does. Even when he judges, his heart is redemption, redemption, redemption. I'm giving you a warning. When this time period began, I felt like it was a period of grace and warning. Wake up. The time is here. Make sure that your lamp is filled with oil. Make sure until he returns that we are good stewards for him working until there's daylight. May we be found faithful until the end so that we can hear well done. Good and faithful servant come now and share in the master's joy. And that doesn't mean that until he returns, we're not going to go through tribulations, whether they're tribulations with a small T, like believers have experienced since the beginning, right? He said, "People, don't be surprised that these trials have come on you. We're not supposed to be surprised. We know that all the nations are supposed to hate us because of our faith in him. And that actually applies to Christians and it applies to Jews. He says that all the nations are going to come against Jerusalem. And he says that all people are going to hate you because of me. So why to be surprised if persecution is beginning to come upon us. But, you know, he tells us to, to hold firm, to stand and having done all to stand. I really feel like it's almost like a, an emotional roller coaster ride at the moment, but we have to hold on to him, to the hem of his garment and just trust, trust him. If we lose our lives, we trust him. We're going to a better place right yes as long as we know him and if we don't know him he's giving us this time window to be able to turn to him with all of our hearts it says that whoever calls on the name of the lord the lord jesus the lord yeshua the messiah will be saved
0: and catherine i think that is as great of a place to land as we could possibly hope for if if you're listening right now and that's you and you're thinking, yeah, I'm, I really want to call on the name of the Lord. You can do that right where you are, but I would encourage you to, would you reach out to us at conduit church? We have people that want to pray with you. We have people that want to, uh, to, to lead you to Christ and that whether you're listening in Nepal or in Nebraska, we have somebody that would pray with you. Uh, you know, if the time is short, that's, it, jesus is coming like peter said it's even the delay right now the delay that we are experiencing the fact that jesus hasn't come back like this very second is only because he is gracious and merciful and wants all to come to repentance and so if that's you would you just literally take 15 seconds of insane courage and just email us um because if you don't do it, if you say i'll do it later i promise the enemy's going to come and you won't so just take that moment right where you are email us info at conduitchurch.com we'll Send somebody to pray with you, to be with you. And Catherine, thank you. Know that you have a church, uh, one of many, many churches in America that love you, that love your nation, love your people, and are praying for you. Uh, We wish you well. Thanks for your time today. Um, How can we find you on the internet right now? If somebody wants to stay up in touch with you, we can put a link in the the show notes. But how can they find you?
1: They can find me at israelandthenations.org.
0: Okay. And like I said, we'll put, that in the, uh, we'll put that in the show notes. She is an absolute joy to follow along on uh, social media as far as uh, – because she talks about harp. She's being humble. She's a very good harpist, uh, very anointed. So anyway, we'll put all that in the show notes. I'll let you get to your family. God bless you guys. Shabbat shalom to you and to your family uh, there tonight.
1: Shabbat shalom.